Hi, this is Kylie, and you're listening to episode 40 of Fix Her Up. If this is your first time checking me out, thank you. I could not be more pleased that you've decided to listen. If you've listened to other episodes and are back again, thank you. I hope you find this episode particularly pleasing, pun intended, which will make sense in a minute, I swear it. Just stick with me. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to convey how excited I am for this episode. It's a couple firsts for me, which I know it's been a long time since I've had a first. Ha ha ha. Anyways, <laughs> it's the first time I've recorded on Zoom and the first time I've asked somebody that I follow on the socials to be on an episode with me. So I'm so excited. I've been thinking about this episode or some version of this episode for like two years, actually. So it's kind of weird that it's actually coming to fruition for me. It's a little surreal. Without much further ado, thank you so much to Amanda King for agreeing to be on this episode with me of Fix Her Up. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so excited to be here. Your energy is just contagious. I'm absolutely obsessed with it. <laughs> thank you. Oh my God. I've, I've worked the whole day. I had a crazy nervous stomach the whole day and I'm like, <laughs> I danced well, in the kitchen feeding, for a while. And you have the best like podcast voice. Like I'm just like over here. I think that like I get really in my own head about my own voice on my podcast, but listening to you just do that whole intro, I felt so serene. I was like, she's got a great voice for this. Thank you. It's so oh. funny. I, I talk on the phone all the time for work, constantly yeah. on the phone. And so many people are like, you have a radio voice. You, you do. Have a radio voice. <laughs> And my dad has a radio voice too, so it must be hereditary or something. That's but funny. thank you so much. So before we dive into this episode, Amanda, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you were doing and what's going on on your socials? I love your socials. I follow them. I've been following them for a while. I've listened to the podcast. I think all of it is great, but please tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Hi guys. My name is Amanda King and I like to call myself a sex educator or a sexual empowerment mentor. And my whole goal on this planet is just to help women feel safe in their bodies. I originally started as an online business coach in 2019, where I helped women uh, build their businesses online through using social media as a sales funnel. And during my journey, my business took off and I had such success with it. But with that success led to, on top of a lot of old related trauma, led to me kind of going into this shutdown of intimacy mode and just shut down in general of physical connection and touch and just in general feeling completely disconnected from my body because I was in this horrible state of fight or flight and I was in freeze, which with freeze, it's like, if you feel overwhelmed by everything that's going on around you, you basically shut down all levels of intimacy. And this is just like, this is even sexual intimacy. This is just intimacy with connection because you're just trying to survive. Right. And so I went through this and I was struggling really hardcore with it. And so I started talking to my audience about it. And all of a sudden I just started receiving all of these messages from women asking me sex questions because I would talk about my own personal journey of trying to reconnect to myself sexually. And I would get so many messages of women being like, oh my God, I feel the same way. But like, is this normal? Is what's happening to my body normal? No one ever told me about this in school. Is this normal? And then so all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm not the only one who's struggling with this. I'm not the only one who's struggling with 
reconnecting with themselves or just learning about sex and intimacy. Like so many women out there need my help. So I just started literally answering questions on my platform. And then my platforms just exploded, which just was such a blessing because it just showed how many women out there needed to hear this message. And my focus is just like female pleasure because it's considered such a taboo topic and there's not a lot of education out there. And the studies that are out there are skewed. And a lot of them are done by men who will never understand what it's like to be a woman and to experience our level of pleasure. And they look at it from a very, which they're supposed to, they're scientists, a very logical and statistical standpoint when it's anything but, right? Female pleasure is all about feeling and emotion. And so I really focus on just trying to help women feel safe and experiencing pleasure and just getting to know a little bit more about their body while doing it. That is so great. Like I, I love it. And as I said, I've listened to some of the podcasts I've, I've listened to some recent ones and I've listened to some older ones and, and I think they're great. And I think the message, I think that's how I, I found you. I stumbled upon it one day on Instagram and I've been following you ever since. And so I think it's really important to get in touch with who you are as a female and your bodies and, and stuff like that. So I think it's great that, that you're out there doing this. So, so is it okay if we get into this? Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. So I'm actually going to focus on, you know, women's sexual health, but specifically orgasms. Mm -hmm. I've talked a lot in different episodes of my own podcast about the fact that I can do certain things. I can squirt. I don't know if I really like that term. No, I hate it. It makes me feel like a fucking fire hose. Like, right. Yeah. I I just, I don't know what else to call it. I call it a waterfall. I call it coming, right? Because in general, that's what we are. Whether it's orgasming, creaming, or squirting, we're coming. We're having an orgasm. It's all interlaced. I agree with you. I think the terminology of squirting is terrible. Yeah. I, I think it's terrible, but I don't know, you know, guys get really excited. And before we get any further, I need to make a public service announcement because my dad listens to my podcast. <laughs> he listens in comments. So if you are somebody who is uncomfortable listening to this stuff, especially if you were my dad and I have Sunday dinner with you every single week, you might not want to listen to this one. <laughs> he really does comment. So I'm sure. That's awesome. Hopefully he'll turn this one off <laughs> or at least not tell me, but I'll let you know yeah. if he says. <laughs> okay. Anyways. So when I was telling my friends and family that I wanted to do this episode, I actually asked them like, what kind of questions do you have about it? Because as you mentioned, there isn't a lot of places that we can get information and Absolutely. the information we get is mostly from men. Yes. So, and I asked my gynecologist who is the guy too. And he's like, ah, it's fine. Well, okay. (laughs) Kind of just brushes it off and tells me I'm a little crazy. But so do you mind answering different questions for us? Go right ahead. I love this. All right. All right. So I guess the first one, let's talk about this because I have a lot of guys have commented to me about this is what is it? Like, is, is it the same as female ejaculation? Is it like, how do they differ? It's not P, right? Right. Because I, right. I go pee first before I yeah. engage. So I know it's not pee. 
Absolutely. So what I refer to is like female pleasure is the three C's. So we have climaxing, which I refer to your orgasms. There's 12 types of orgasms that the female body can have. Then we have the topic of female ejaculation. Now, female squirting and female ejaculation are the terms are intertwined, but they're two different things. They basically get put underneath the terminology or the umbrella term of female ejaculation. So female ejaculation by itself is what we would call creaming. So this is when a milky white substance that looks like semen is excreted from the skein's glands on the vulva. So okay. that is different than squirting. Squirting is a arousal fluid that is built up in the bladder. When you become aroused, it will start feeling like you have to pee. So it's built in the bladder and it is basically some PSAs. There's fructose in there. Are there trace amounts of urine in there? Yes. Why? Because it's in the bladder and it comes out your urethra. So knowing that, let me just reframe this before you freak out. No, it's not all pee, which right. is a massive misconception that uneducated people will go around and say, it's pee. It's not pee. Are there traces amounts of urine? Yeah. It's coming out of the place that you go to the bathroom. You're going to have trace amounts of urine. It. Think of it this way. When a man ejaculates, it comes out his urethra. Where does a man pee out of? His urethra. So semen also can contain trace amounts of urine, especially if your partner is going to the bathroom prior of the session. So don't let the idea of it being pee freak you out because it's not pee, but it is created in the bladder and then it is excreted through the urethra. With squirting, it can happen prior, during, or post-orgasm. You can squirt and never have an orgasm which is pretty freaking incredible too. Yeah, they're not intertwined. So they are also labeled like female ejaculation, orgasms and squirting are all labeled underneath orgasm because they are their own kind of separate entities when it comes to orgasming, but they are different. It is different than female ejaculation. It's its own beautiful source of pleasure that women can feel. Oh, interesting. So it's like, it's like the whole big un- umbrella. Yeah. Is- and then there's like different types yeah. of subsets. Exactly. That's how I like to look at him, a visual person. So I'm always like, give me an image to go by. <laughs> but it is, it's like, uh, that's why I always call it the three C's of female pleasure, because that is what it is. It's female pleasure. It's coming, creaming, climaxing. It's the abilities that your body has. And so it always gets so messed up because people are like, oh my God, I can squirt, but I'm not having an orgasm. Yeah, they're two different things. They feel a little differently if you can have the ability to feel both. Just like creaming feels completely different than squirting. Like they're all their own little thing, which just proves to you how fucking incredible the female body is. Yeah. That we can produce all of this pleasure. And a lot of women don't recognize that because we don't get taught that, like you said. So we have all these questions and we don't know where to look. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. So is there, this is for my own personal, obviously, is there a limit of how much you can actually squirt? Because I have what I call puppy pads. I mean, they actually are like incontinence pads for older people, but I lovingly call them puppy pads, but I've, you know, I've got four or five of them and I've soaked them in different and with like one session or whatever. So is there is there a limit to how much your body can produce? 
So according to studies, they say anywhere from like a milliliter to a hundred milliliters can come out in one session, but it really depends on the woman. I have found that obviously like the first time is always kind of hard to get to that, like not hard, but it's a little bit more difficult to get to that squirting mode the first time. But then afterwards, if you keep going, it just keeps on happening. Like it, yes. she's like, she's yes. like, yes, yes, it does. <laughs> and even like, I just like, I found out that I could squirt in my like late twenties by accident, literally by accident. Me and too. So, yeah. So I have been even playing and exploring, hopefully this isn't too much TMI, but I myself explore the idea of how many times can I squirt? Like how many, like, is there a limit on there? And I have not found a limit. The only limit I have found is that I stop because I feel like I'm going to pass out. Well, and, and like from pure pleasure, like it just feels so good. And I get really tired because people don't recognize that like that takes a lot out of your body in order to produce that. And she's like, yes, yes. I'm raising my hand right now because I'm, I'm going to skip ahead because I am exhausted afterwards, like exhausted. Absolutely. And I've, I've told people that I'm, you know, planning a night way through whatever. I'm like, you need like at least six Gatorades. I need, I need a ton of like protein afterwards. And I, I'm like, I'm almost brain dead the next day. Yep. I'm ravenous afterwards. And I am like more, I say the next day, I I think it's all very, cause I'm very euphoric the next day after like a very long session, but you have to think of what your body is going through while you are squirting. Your body is already going up this like climactic hill and your body's being hit with adrenaline, endorphins, oxytocin every single time that you are squirting. So afterwards you're going to have this like euphoric, almost glow about you. But what also happens when your body is pumped full of feel good hormones, you crash, right? Oh, I shake. Yeah. I like that body will just shake for like an hour. And everyone's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. It's just freezing. It's It's like, I just ran like a marathon or something. Yeah. I had a session like last week where that happened, where my legs literally involuntarily shook. And I was like, what the, what the fuck is happening? Just Mm -hmm. know it's all safe. And it's all normal. And like, yeah, you're good. It's a workout, right? The average sex session with a partner is is about seven to 20 minutes and burns about two to 300 calories. So thinking about going into a 30 minute session with yourself and or with a partner where you're adding extra caloric burn on there because your body is producing this extra liquid, right? It's all energy. And so your body is producing all of this extra stuff then your body is going to need to be repaired. It's an exercise, it's a sport, and your body is going to need to be replenished afterwards. So you're going to feel sometimes dehydrated. You're going to feel hungry. You are going to sometimes feel like you could die in your sleep, but you'll always have the best night's sleep afterwards. Like, And that's also because you're releasing all of these hormones mm-hmm. in your body that are gonna help you sleep. So all of those things, completely normal. Yeah, I'm I'm wiped. I'm just totally wiped. and when I tell people ahead of time, they're like, well, I don't understand. I'm like, you will just wait. <laughs> like you will understand when you see it, you know? Yeah. And I think that they don't recognize like, and it's once again, men ejaculate when they ejaculate, they get tired. Right. right. Like typically they'll fall asleep right afterwards where sometimes women will experience orgasms and they'll actually get more energy than 
a man. So a man will be like wiped out. So if you're a man listening to this and you think you get tired after sex, imagine a session where you're constantly ejaculating over and over and over again, because that's what squirting is for a woman. It's constant multiple orgasms or ejaculation over a good span of time for about a half hour. You're going to be fucking wiped mm-hmm. afterwards and you're going to be zonked and it's absolutely normal. And so it's just like, I always say like, feed your body afterwards and relax because then you're also in this like really cool state, like take a shower, take a bath, go to bed. Let that be just what you do. It's like, you're repairing your body and taking care of it and thanking it for what it just did for you. Yeah, no, those are, those are good suggestions. So why is it easier? Like for me, like, as you said, you know, you just discovered in your late twenties that you could do it, which is what happened with me too. I was like, Oh my God, what just happened? You know, and I was actually by myself. So I was like, what just happened? I had to sleep on the couch. I was like, what? You know, but why is it easier? I feel like it's not hard for me to do anymore since I first did it. But why is it easier for some women than it is for others? So when we talk about female squirting, we also have to bring up the fact that according to studies, and I'm going to put this in quotes, not every woman has the ability to squirt. So studies say that on average, 50% of women can 50 can't. I think that that number is skewed for a few reasons. One, I think they are measuring the amount of liquid that comes out of a woman and determining whether or not she can squirt. But like we stated before, it can be as little as a milliliter. So I actually think a lot more women are squirting than they think they are because they think that it's got to gush like a fire hose, like we spoke about, right? Because squirting is, oh, I can gush my my, my arousal fluid from one side of the room to the other, which isn't necessarily the case. It can literally come out as a small dribble, a steady stream, a full gush. Like mm-hmm. it really honestly depends on the person. What makes it easier, the more you do it is because you start feeling safer with doing it. And you start feeling more comfortable when you start doing it more frequently, which then you have to feel safe and secure and comfortable when you are squirting because- you have to relax your body enough because your brain's telling you you got to piss, right? right? Because your brain is like, oh my God, what is this? This feels like my bladder is full. That's why a lot of women, when they're about to squirt, they'll stop sex or they'll stop stimulation because they're like, oh, I got to run to the bathroom. No, you don't. That's actually you getting like your body getting ready to squirt. So to be able to release that liquid, you have to basically feel safe enough to recognize I'm not peeing on my partner. This is safe. I'm allowed mm-hmm. to feel this. And so the more practice you get just like any sport, right? The more practice you get, the better you're going to get at it. The more liquid you may be able to produce, the more like duration you may be able to last. It all depends on the person, but it is like, there are people, the first time I ever did it, it's the same thing. It happened by accident and I couldn't reproduce it for years because I didn't know. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was like 20, I was actually in my early 20s, 22, 23, and I was in 69, I swear to God, with my ex, and all of a sudden it happened, and he was like, do you realize what you just did? I had no idea what it, what it was. I was right. like, what? And I had to Google it, and even then, I couldn't do it until probably my when I moved to D.C., so probably when I was in my late 20s when I started masturbating because I didn't really masturbate very often, but Uh I started being like, let me see. And the first time it happened, I remember being on the bathroom floor and being like, what the fuck just (laughs) happened? But once again, it was, I felt safe enough and secure enough with myself to be able to do it. So it really will depend on how 
safe you are, how frequently you've done it, because even for the first time, it can be really nerve wracking. And so it's just like, it will change varying on, I always say the person and the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For me, it was more like once I was able to do it, it almost didn't turn off. I also was with a partner that I trusted and all of those things, but then I've had relationships where the entire relationship I didn't for the whole time. Yep. And it's like, I think that that's the thing when women are always like, well, how do I squirt? Okay. Well try masturbation. Cause that's the safest you are with yourself. Like you are never more safe and secure than you are with yourself. And so that's a great way to like explore whether or not you have the capability of, because putting it in a partner's hand is exactly what you say, depending on the partner. If you don't feel safe with the partner, how are you going to be able to be, feel safe enough to like, let that go literally. Right. Right. Yeah. So I've had different reactions to it. You know, Mm -hmm. I've had people that are fascinated by it and Mm -hmm. people that are mortified by it, like actually mortified. So I I don't really understand the reactions because in my head, I'm like, it's just, I just say, it's just the way I came. Like, I mean, I've got brown hair. It's just the way I came. It's just how I am, you know? But yeah. I'm sure you've probably gotten some crazy comments about it. Cause I know you, you, an- as you said, you answer a lot of questions on the socials and everything. So how is it perceived out there in, in, you know, like the socials and society and all of that stuff? This is the thing with female pleasure and squirting in particular, there is no biological function that gives the women the ability to squirt. Scientists have no idea why we can do it. Really? They don't. Really, because basically all of our pleasure can be tied to something, right? When a male ejaculates, he it's for procreation, right? And so if when a woman has an orgasm, it's typically to prep her body for insemination. So, mm-hmm. but female squirting, scientists have no idea why it's happening. There's nothing biologically linked that would cause that to happen. And so because it's misunderstood and scientists can't point an exact reason of like why it's happening and it's happening to women, and not men, because if this was men, it would be more accepted. So people can't be funding for that. Yeah, there'd be funding for that, right? Fucking perfect. Yeah, there would. And so basically, they don't understand what's happening. So what do we do? What does society do to things it doesn't understand? It villainizes it. And it labels it as something wrong, right? Yeah. So the two biggest misconception, like questions I always get is about anal sex and female squirting. In the socials, people are in the internet is a beautiful and terrible place at the same time because it's a beautiful place because it allows a lot of education that you would not get elsewhere. It's a terrible place because there are a lot of miseducated people out there that have now a platform to spread their miseducation and their fear mongering, which was also associated to squirting. So when you go out in the online space, you get women who are like, oh my God, this is amazing. Thank you so much. I, I didn't know what was going on. This is great. Now I finally can understand what's happening to me. Then you get men who are like, it's pee. Do you know how many times that I've had to literally post studies and put statistics up there and say, it's not fucking pee, you ignorant fucks. And guess what though? I'll literally call them out on the video and be like, and I'll still get people who will ignore everything I said and put it's pee. And I still get it every single time. So think about it this way. Sex education is terrible across the United States, no matter where you go to school, but specifically in certain States, it's much, much worse because they don't even educate you. They just teach you not to have sex. 
right? And so all of these miseducated people are miseducated teenagers who turn into miseducated adults who then get into sexual situations where they don't understand what's going on and what's happening. So they villainize it. Oh my God, she squirted. She pissed all over me. She's disgusting, right? Rather than just taking five fucking seconds to Google female squirting and understand that it's absolutely normal and it's completely safe. So you're going to get a massive spectrum of people who don't understand it, don't want to understand it is another thing too. There are people who are just not wanting to have conversations on it. They find it disgusting, repulsive. They don't even want to talk about it. And there are women out there who say the same thing on my videos. Definitely not as frequently, but I definitely get women who are like, oh, it's pee, you're disgusting. I'm like, what? And that always makes me feel really bad when I get like women commenting on stuff like that because they're miseducated on their own pleasure, which means they're feeling fear-mongering and they're feeling shameful about something that could happen or potentially happening to their body. And so you're going to get a wide variety of reactions to it because it's not understood and it's not, there aren't a lot of studies on it. So there's not a lot of conclusive evidence to say this is safe and normal. And even if there is, if there was a thousand million articles, people would still say it's B because they don't understand it and they don't want to. Yeah. And I don't, like personally, I just don't understand the fear behind it, but that's more of, I think, a reflection of who I am. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm the type of person who goes out and looks and tries to find the information and asks the questions. And I've had the education that let me to be a critical thinker. So yeah. I think that's more of just a reflection of who I am. And well, even like you think of high school smex, smex ed, I'm so used to saying smex, sex ed, <laughs> that it's taught typically by gym teachers. Like mine was taught by my gym teacher. And like a lot of them are te- taught by teachers who have to follow a very strict guidelines and rules because sex has become taboo. So if we yes. don't make sex about procreation to kids, then it's taboo. And so that's all they focus on. And even if this is happening to a teenage girl and she squirts for the first time, who the fuck is she going to ask? Yeah. Because none of her friends are talking about it. I don't know about you. None of my friends spoke about sex growing up. None of us did. I remember we didn't talk about masturbation. We didn't talk about anything. So then what's happening? All of these people are going through these things and these experiences and having no outlet and no information. And so they then villainize it themselves and they feel like they're the problem and they're the freak when in fact it's not. It's the fact that just society hasn't taught us well. Right. But I mean, that leads perfectly into my next question, actually, because now I think it's more mainstream, like I'm seeing more and more about it. And, you know, I was talking to my therapist and I said, oh, I found somebody to do the episode with me and I'm so excited. And she's like, you know, somebody else, I just saw something. And so do you think it's getting to be more mainstream because of the Internet and all of those things or like I've heard more and more about it? Yeah, I think it's becoming more mainstream because more women are talking about it because we are all experiencing the same thing, which is this, we feel weird that no one has taught us about it. I think that there is an increase in sexual educators, like female sexual educators that are openly talking about it. There are doctors, female doctors who are coming on and talking about it more because I think that all women are getting sick and tired of being fear-mongered for their own pleasure. And like a 50, even if only 50% of the entire population can do it, that's still millions of women who have the ability to do it. So if we get up and we start talking about it, we take the tabooness 
out of it, right? It becomes taboo because everyone's whispering behind closed doors. If we open up and have these conversations on podcasts, on books, on magazines, everyone starts feeling normal about it. So more women feel safe in order enough to sit here and talk about it. And I remember my first stories I ever spoke about squirting, they're still on my Instagram profile underneath like the little bubbles. The first time I ever spoke about it, you can tell how nervous I am. And you can tell me I'm like kind of fidgety and I'm just like, because it was the first time I had ever opened up about my own experience with it. And then now I talk about it like it's breathing, but it's just, that's how it is. It's like, because now I feel it's normal and it's safe. And so why not express it? Why not talk about it? And like when you start talking about it, and this applies to anybody, you make other people feel safer talking about it. So now because I talk about it, I create safe spaces for other people to engage and talk about it. So now I have women who in my everyday life come up to me and are like, can I ask you a question? Like, can we talk about this? I saw that That's you spoke so about great. it. It's so great. It's because so it's great. So, it's so great because then it's like, it's finally getting women to feel normal about their bodies. And because society makes us feel like shit about our bodies and shames us for our bodies and makes us fear our bodies when there's nothing to fear. And so it is becoming more mainstream and I could not be any more behind it. I'm just like, keep going. Everyone talk about it. I was like, I talked, I did the whole story push right before I did this episode on squirting. And I did one the other day. Cause I'm like, I will talk about this subject until I'm dead. Because yeah. it is so important. And the more that you talk about it, the more it normalizes it and the more women feel less ashamed. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good. And I I mean that's part of the reason why I want to do this episode as well, just to yeah. put it out there and just to because this is just literally this is just how I am. And yeah. my friends have known, you know, for my 51 years of existence that I'm not like everybody else. And I'm just gonna talk about it. I don't give I just don't give a shit. Well, I think <laughs> you know? too is like you said it's not a defect, right? We're not X-Men. It's not a mutated gene. Right. We're literally built to experience this. If you weren't meant to feel it, you wouldn't be able to do it. So mm-hmm. why are we making people feel shitty about that? Right? It's like, if you weren't blonde and you, if you were born blonde and you dyed your hair and I made you feel shitty about being a brunette when you were a blonde, like, what the fuck is that? It's like your right. body, you were literally built to produce this and have the ability to do this. And there are women who one, can't, two, don't feel safe enough to do it. So why also, when we do have the ability, do we try to stop it? Because I also get messages about like, how do I stop squirting? Or it makes a mess, but it's supposed to. And that's okay. And you're safe in making a freaking mess too. And so it's just like, it's about safety and just feeling okay to talk about it. It just makes it so much better for everyone else to explore it as well. Yes. Along the lines of, of that, I tend to like prep for it, Yeah, you know, I mean, earlier I mentioned, I, you know, I go to the bathroom before, you know, Mm -hmm. but I also make sure, you know, that I've got the puppy pads out and like, we're going to shower afterwards and stuff like that. I drink a lot of water, you know, is there any advice, any other advice for somebody that wants to try it or like things to keep in mind when they're trying it. I'm not sure if I'm exactly vocalizing what I want to say. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's like one hydration is like, you do want to stay hydrated because it is a liquid that is being produced. So like, it's not, remember it's not pee. So it's not like if you're going to chug a bunch of water, you can pee ahead of time and guess what? You're still going to squirt. And just like after your session, you're probably possibly going to piss right after your session too. And just in case, because like that too is cleaning out bacteria. So like, 
it's all normal with prep wise. I would say stay hydrated. If you're nervous about it being on carpet or something along those lines, like masturbate on your bathroom floor, masturbate mm-hmm. on hardwood surfaces, have sex on hardwood surfaces or some, or vinyl or whatever it is so that it's easy to clean up. Always have a towel handy or a few, depending on how much you can do. There are blankets on Amazon that you can buy that are like the puppy pad blankets. Oh. Basically, yeah. So there's like their blankets and they look like they belong on a bed but they are double-lined. A lot of times people use them for kids and pets. Just in case the pets have an accident, you can put one of those on your bed. It looks like a quilt. So that way it's not an awkward, like, oh, well, we're going to have sex. Let me go grab this. It's like the blank, it's already on the bed. And then that way it's already prepped. And then you can go and it will be perfectly fine because it'll be absorbed into it. If you have a mattress, go and get the waterproof, what are those? Mattress like a pad. Yeah, mattress pads that you zip your mattress into so that water won't soak through into your mattress. We used to joke, my husband and I used to have that in our spare bedroom and we would have sex in that bed all the time because it was protected. So we were like, all right, if it happens, we're good. And then we would just wash your sheets. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Wash your sheets, wash the towels, whatever it is. Like the only way I would say is like, I don't think there's any massive prep work. Just have stuff to clean up afterwards and like, enjoy yourself. Yeah. Whenever um, my ex and I, we would get, make sure if we were at a hotel, we always got two queen size beds, one bed for sex, one bed for sleeping. That's brilliant. That's how you, because I don't want to sleep in the wet spot and the whole thing is wet. So my God. And yeah, that's the thing too. I don't either. Like there are times where I've like tried to throw blankets over wet spots and I'm like, I can't do this, but like, yeah, I'll have sex. I was like, I'll get on the floor. I don't even care. I'm like, I don't even care. I just don't want the bed to get wet. Let's do this. Yeah. I mean, it does take a little bit of prep, but it does. I've been able to like figure it out. And I have the puppy pads. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, it's like, you know, a lot of women say it takes the spontaneity out of sex because you do need to prep. Right. But I don't think that's necessarily true too. I mean, if you're out and about and you want to have sex right in a public place in your car. Yes. Okay. I understand that. Just throw some towels in your car. Just yeah. have them in there in a bag, just in case. Right. If you're out in a public space, if you're having sex in a dressing room or in a bathroom, just fucking leave the puddle and run. Like, I just like, just at this point, I'm like, it doesn't have to, you don't have to take the spontaneity out of it. Just be extra like preparative. Like just make sure that you have stuff in there so that when it does happen, you're prepared and you feel better about it. Right. So, okay. I've noticed I'm almost 52. So Mm -hmm. I've noticed as I've aged that it hasn't really declined that much. I know like I'm definitely in perimenopause yeah, and lower estrogen and stuff like that. You know, I've got like the chin hairs and all those things, all the great things that come with it. As I go through this is lower estrogen going to influence any of that stuff or I have from what I know. And like, obviously I, I don't go through that from what I can gather in my DMS. It doesn't just up right like I have women in their 60s and 70s messaging me telling me that they're squirters so there's hope for fucking all of us right <laughs> I, I don't want it I don't want it to go away <laughs> no and I don't think that it has anything to do with the amount of estrogen or hormones but I don't know right because it's an elusive thing that no one understands right. and so it's I think that as long as you constantly feel safe and you stay hydrated you will be able to have it just like it's not like when you go through menopause, you lose orgasms either. Your sex drive does take a little bit of a drop, right? It does sometimes take a little bit of extra prep work in order to get 
aroused. You might need extra lubrication, like, but you can still have a super happy, healthy sex life after menopause. Like we have even a writer on Smack said that her literal, that's what she writes about every single month is about post. Like, I think she is, is she 62? I think she's late fifties, early sixties. And she talked about postmenopausal and like how her sex life is even better now than it was before. And yeah. And so it's just like, it, she talks about how it's, it may require like a little bit of more prep work, but it still can be super happy and healthy. And so there are women who literally don't even learn that they can squirt until their sixties. I had a, wow. woman the other day, a, a woman the other day said I'm 62 and I just squirted for the first time. Wow. And I was just like, holy shit. So like, it's definitely like, I don't think it has anything to do. I don't think it ties into our hormonal balances or the decrease of hormones. Well, that makes me happy because the other hormonal stuff that's going on in my body right now is just making me nuts. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I think that it's like, it's like your old trusty friend, like you yeah. all the time. It's always like too, it's where sometimes women will complain where they'll be like, oh, but I get so wet. And I'm like, well, one day that'll be harder. So like embrace it now and just be like, yeah. I'll slip inside and I love it. And just like, let that be okay. And know that like menopause doesn't mean your whole entire sex life is going to die or hysterectomies too. That's something I get a lot of messages about, about women being like, can I squirt if I get a hysterectomy? Absolutely. It depends on what area of stimulation is causing you to squirt. So it's like, if it's a vaginal orgasm, which there are a bunch of different types that you can have, as long as it's not a cervical orgasm, you can typically squirt afterwards. If it's clitoral, you can still squirt it. Like it depends on what area is causing the stimulation. So it may cause, may be where you may need more stimulation in that area, but I'm sure you can still do that until the day they put you in this ground. That's, I mean, I, I hope so. <laughs> like counting on it. <laughs> I am counting on this to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that that's great too. That's embracing, like it's a part of you. And like, there was a time in my life where I, when I cut down and I froze that I couldn't squirt for like over a year, probably close to a year and a half. And I remember in that moment being like, oh my God, I was so nervous about this and so like ashamed about it. And so just like quiet about it. And now I don't even know if I can do it anymore. And that was so scary. Yeah. That, like, that's one of the reasons I started talking about it. Cause I was like, thank you, gosh, it, like it came back. We're yeah. good. But it was like, it was when you lose it, you do feel like you're losing a piece of you because it is a part of you. And it's a part that makes you feel really good when you're experiencing it. Yeah. And I mean, I went through that, like, through my divorce and like that time, just super stressful time. I thought, oh, what if I never have another orgasm? And yeah. I cried like a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I did. I was like, oh my God, what if I lost it? <laughs> yeah, because that's so sad, right? And like, there are so many people out in this world that don't get to experience that amount of pleasure. That's why it always breaks my heart when people are like, how do I stop it? I'm like, you don't, you don't, don't love it. it. And yeah. you embrace it. And like, it's like, if your partner is making it seem something like it's gross, that's the wrong partner, not you. You're perfect. You're amazing. Continue to do what you're doing. Ditch the partner because the partner's the problem. Yeah. That's what I found that the, the person who was freaked out by it. I, I didn't date him very long. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if this was ejaculation, like with male ejaculation, no one freaks out over it. Why? Because we talk about it all the like, time, all the time, all the fucking time. So no one's freaked out about it because it's expected from them. Right. And so when it's not expected from women, it's like, oh my God. And the fact that like, 
male ejaculation leads to procreation and female squirting and ejaculation don't. So now it's even more taboo because it has nothing to do with men. Right. And it's like, we can achieve it without men. So it's like, it makes it more taboo because they don't want us to explore this aspect of us because then they feel like they're being replaced. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's a threat. It is. I mean, and it, and it shouldn't be, but in, and this is where we look like educated versus miseducated people, right? right? To miseducated people, it's a threat because it means it's a woman can get off without them. And when we grow up in a society that focuses solely on penetration, that's what happens when in fact, only 20% of women in the entire population can get off via penetration. Only 20%, only 20%. With a clitoral yeah. orgasm, we're looking at 85 to 90% of women can get off that way. So it's like, so, but we focus on penetration. Why? Because penetration involves a man and society is a patriarchal society that focuses on men. And so if we can't, if we can orgasm without, without a man, like, oh my God, why do we need them? And it's like, because they're good people and we want to have them in our lives, but like, it shouldn't be so fear mongering, but that's what they do because they are nervous that women are going to explore their own power without them. Right. Yeah. And we'd have more conversations about all of this if we were, if it's talking about ED and all the, you know. <laughs> There'd be more education on it. There would be everything. I mean, it's, it blows my mind that the only thing that gets funding is how to stop women from getting pregnant. It's like, yeah. there's so much other stuff out there that we could throw funding into and research into to make women feel more normal rather than fearing their body. But all of the money is thrown into birth control to get us to stop having babies. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But so like switching a little bit to, to the men aspect, because I I do have a lot of guys that listen to my podcast. So, I mean, men lose testosterone as they get older, correct? Absolutely. I mean, that's part of ED, correct? Yep. Is there an issue with the amount that they can ejaculate as they age? No. So basically one, yes. They, if we were talking about sexual desire or sexual prowess or sexual peaking, men typically peak in their sexual activities much younger than women. They tend to peak in their 20s slash 30s. Women peak on the older end. Right. So this is why a lot of women start really exploring their sexualities in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. So although men's sex drive slowly decreases over time, women's actually increases. Once menopause is brought in there, yes, there's a little bit of a lag in it, but the amount of testosterone does affect the male body and it does affect the way that they ejaculate. It can cause premature ejaculation and Mm -hmm. can cause erectile dysfunction. Always consult your doctor because I am not one. So if you're experiencing ED, I would a thousand percent consult a doctor and see what methods they have to help treat it. But yeah, the less testosterone your body produces, unfortunately, that is a side effect of it where it could cause you to stop being able to get up per se. Always be careful if you are taking any type of enhancements for the love of God, do your research because there's a lot of really bad shit out there that men will put into their bodies in hopes of getting an erection, but just be careful and always consult a doctor it's, it's an embarrassing topic for men. I understand just like premature ejaculation is just like delayed ejaculation is, but these are topics that your doctor can absolutely help you with. And they're curable in a lot of circumstances. So always consult them and always talk to them about it. 
Yeah, I think, and you can, you can go online while you're watching sports and get the prescription sent to you. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I think that men feel a lot of shame about that too, though. Right. Because I was having a conversation with my friends at the bar, like a man's masculinity is always tied to his penis, whether it's the size, whether it's the girth, whether it's how much he can get it up versus not, it's mm-hmm. always makes it mean something about him. If it means, if it's his penises quote unquote malfunctioning, which isn't what happening, but that's really hard for men to have to talk to their doctors about because they feel embarrassed about it because they think that their erectile dysfunction or their premature ejaculation or delayed ejaculation means something about their masculinity when it's not. And there's an underlining cause. It could be some health related issue. It could be something you're eating. It could be anything, Mm -hmm. but you're never going to find that out if you don't have the courage to talk to your doctor. So please, for the love of God, talk to your doctors. Yeah. I think right there is part of the issue because I know a lot of guys that don't go to the doctor. <laughs> they don't want, yeah. Cause it's embarrassing. Like we had a, a physician who writes for Smacks Ed and he came in and he did an entire article on premature ejaculation. If anybody wants to read it and his, the whole article starts with the story about a guy who refused to say what was the problem. And then his wife burst into the room and his wife was like, this is happening. And they were able to treat it. Right. But if his wife didn't say anything, it would have been this like guessing game of like what was going on, but the guy was embarrassed and it's like, there's yeah. nothing to be embarrassed about. Just talk about it. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, a, it's still a taboo topic for them to talk about with their doctors as well, exactly. you know, which is understandable. So, so I have an, a, a couple other like random questions for you. And one of them was, is about diet. And I don't know mm-hmm. if you watched sex in the city, like in its first iteration, yes. all the seasons, I don't know if you remember the funky spunk episode. It's like one of my favorite episodes. (laughs) So it is diet related, right? Because sometimes I swear it it is disgusting. Yeah. So I think that in general, I said this to my friend, I was like, I don't think semen is ever going to taste like chocolate and we're going to want to like drink it by the cup. Like, let's just be real here. Let's have that frank discussion. But certain aspects of your diet and exercise absolutely affect the way you taste. So for example, if you are doing drugs, if you are a heavy drinker, if you were eating a bunch of fried food, if you were not taking care of yourself, you can have funky spunk. It Mm -hmm. will taste terrible. If you have a healthier diet, if you practice, not practice, but if you have, if you consume fruits and vegetables, that will help. It's all about the pH balance of your body. So it can be sometimes really acidic and sour if their acidity levels are too high and they're just eating trash, or it can be, some people say it tastes sweeter. There's like a big, I don't want to say it's a myth because people say it's a myth. They say it's not a myth, but they say like eat pineapple beforehand because pineapple will change the taste of your cum. Well, it'll make it a little sweeter. And so it's like, it's because what you're consuming. So you want to make sure that what you're consuming it ultimately plays a whole effect on your body regardless, but it will change the way you taste if you were putting and fueling your body with not so great stuff. Now, is it the same for females too? I can imagine that it's probably yeah, the same, like absolutely. the diet. and Because of our pH balance, the same thing. It's like, if we're eating good and we're taking care of ourselves, we're naturally going to taste better. If we're doing drugs and we're drinking a shit ton of alcohol all the time, or we're smoking, whether it's mm-hmm. pot or whether it's tobacco, like it's all going to cause your body system to get thrown off. Like even I remember one time there was my husband, he was at halal for like a week straight and his pores started smelling like the food. Why? Because 
it's food and it's being consumed and it's going to be excreted in some way, shape or form. So if you're ejaculating and you're filling your body full of just trash, your spunk's going to taste freaking terrible. Yeah. That's a great episode. I love that episode. Yeah. So if I'm trying at like, you know, during a session or something, if I'm trying to ever like hold something in, is that damaging my body in some way? No. I mean, I would say if you're trying to hold in squirting, for example, it's not going to feel great. Like it's going to feel like you're holding in pee. Mm-hmm. Is it, it sometimes you'll get cramping, right? Because if you hold your urine too long, it's the same exact thing that's happening. Does right. it cause massive damage to your body? Probably not because you're not holding it for a long duration of time. But there are people who will hold squirting because they're afraid of what their partner's going to say or how their partner's going to react or they don't want to make a mess. It's just going to feel like you really have to freaking pee the entire time, which may make sex a bit more uncomfortable, but it won't like be anything detrimental to your body. Okay. I mean, I do it sometimes for fun. It's like, you can't do this until I say yes. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I love that. You it's make so, it a game. <laughs> that's, that's different. Right. Because it's like, it's, it's furthering the arousal, right. Rather than being like, I can't like, I can't right. do it. So it won't, no, it won't harm your body in any way. Oh, well, that's good to know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and women have more nerve receptors than men do in their erogenous zones. Right. So like, even when we look at the clit versus the head of a male penis, the clit has 10,000 nerve endings in it. And that is your entire clit. So a lot of people don't realize that the button that that's what they call the button that you see (laughs) is not your full clit. That's only your clitoral hood. Your full clit is actually about three and a half to four inches long. And it goes down the side of your labia. It looks like a wishbone. It's the best way I describe it. Like, so it has 10,000 nerve endings. It's made of the same exact tissue that a penis is in utero basically when it's decided what body part you have it's either a penis or it's your vagina and clitoris they're composed of the exact same tissues but it is so much more sensitive than the male penis which is only four thousand nerve endings so like ten thousand versus four thousand and so yeah and like women have the ability to experience more orgasms than men like i said there's 12 types of orgasms that are all different erogenous zones that women can have when men can really i mean they're all orgasms are related through ejaculation, but there's really only about three that they can have. So like typical ejaculation, a perineum orgasm and prostate orgasms are like the three that men can have. Women can have 12. So So what are the different 12? I mean, not to put you on the spot. No, I'm like, I always forget one. I always forget one, but we're going to do this. Okay. Okay. So oral, so not, not oral sex. This is kissing. Women can get off via kissing. Yeah. It's like slow, methodical kissing. Women are really fucking incredible. Number two, (laughs) nipples. I have to go down my body as I'm thinking. So two is nipples. Number three is clitoral. Number four is U-spot, which is your urethra, which a lot of people are like, wait, what? Yeah, your urethra. It's external use only. Do not shove things in your urethra. But if a tongue or a finger circulates the exterior of your urethra, there's a shit ton of nerve endings in there. You can orgasm from it. The A-spot orgasm, which is a vaginal orgasm, it's located a little bit further up than your G-spot. It's about four to six inches in. So it's like really deeply in there. You can also access an A-spot orgasm through anal sex which is kind of crazy. Uh, it kind of hits against that back wall. It's the anterior fornix orga- erogenous zone. And it's like up against the wall of your vaginal canal. The oh. G-spot orgasm, which is, you know, elusive. Some people say it exists. Some people say it doesn't. 
So walnut, it's supposed to kind of be like a spongy walnut size spot within your vaginal canal, a cervical orgasm. Then we have blended orgasms. Blended orgasms is when you're stimulating two or more areas. So your nipples and your clits, they create a blended orgasm, anal orgasm. Then you have multiple orgasms, which is different from blended. So blended is stimulating two aspects of your body. Multiple is like having an orgasm coming down, having another orgasm coming down, having an orgasm coming down. There's the corgasm, which is an exercise induced orgasm that actually you feel more in your abdomen and thighs than you do your vaginal area. Some women can have it, some women can't. And then there is a, it's called a couple different things, a sleep orgasm, right? Where you, it's like a wet dream for a woman. Sometimes people call these mental orgasms or fantasy orgasms. They, and women can create, like women can orgasm just from mental fantasies without even touching themselves, which is pretty fun. Yeah. Like I think there's, there's even orgasms that you can activate just through breathing. Like it's incredible what the female body can do, but those are the 12 types. I think I got them all, which was actually first. You missed one. Did I miss one? I thought I got them all. Maybe I just didn't count right. Cause I was learning. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I was taking notes, but yeah, I was, so, I was learning. <laughs> so like with, with that, it's like, can everyone have every style orgasm? Yes. And no, there are women who can experience all 12, but remember, if you can't get off via penetration, you won't be able to have a G spot, a spot right. or a cervical orgasm, but you still have a bunch of other orgasms that you can play with and explore and like, use toys, use your hands, like stimulate two areas to see if you can create a blended orgasm. It's like the possibilities are endless. Yeah. I think that's so great. Well, thank you so much for recording this episode with me. I totally learned things. Like I really did. (laughs) Well, I think it's so so cool. that, Like like we said, the more we talk about it, the more you learn because every single day I follow a bunch of sex educators too. And they'll say things and I'll be like, oh shit. Like I never knew that the clip was as large as it was because no one ever talked about it. No one told me that the vagina is not the vagina. It's the vulva. And that like the vagina is the vaginal. No one told us this stuff. So it's like when we start having these conversations, you end up learning so much about yourself because other people are learning about their self. It's all through self-exploration and just sharing your personal stories with people. Yeah. I think it's great. I, I I definitely think it's great. So if people want to reach out to you or follow you or get information about smack Ed and all of that, how do they go about reaching out to you? So there's a lot. Um, I'm on basically all social media platforms. I'm on TikTok. I'm on um, Snapchat. I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. Um, my name is Amanda King. Obviously you can type it in Instagram and Snapchat. The handle is the dot Amanda King. I also run, I'm the founder and editor of a digital magazine called Smex Ed. So it's www.smexed.com. This magazine's fucking incredible. We drop an issue every single month and it's me and a group of other ragtag writers that I like to call us that (laughs) just talk about different sexual topics all the way from, you know, toys to help you prep for anal sex to, you know, having an active sex life after your sixties to what's it like to be a single mom and date again. Like we have so many, we have a licensed therapist on staff and she does articles geared towards communication in couples when they want to explore new taboo 
taboo quotes topics. And so we have a physician who writes for us. We have so many great articles and the magazine is completely free. So you can come read all of the articles, all of the social media handles for all of the writers are on the articles. So you can go and follow them as well. Um, and then I have a podcast called Smex Ed. And it is a podcast that drops every single Wednesday. And so it's my baby. I love that podcast, which reminds me, I have to record my own episode for this week, but you can find me on any of those. That is so great. Thank you so much for doing this with me. And I'm, I'm definitely going to do some more episodes about this just as I'm going through perimenopause and aging and experiencing these things myself, I'm going to talk about it. (laughs) Love that. And I think that that's what the world needs, right? Because you talk about it and everyone else feels safer talking about it. So kudos to you for doing this. Oh, well, thank you. I hope everybody learned something from this. As I said, I definitely learned some stuff and I will definitely be back in touch with you for some more episodes as we go through this whole process. To everybody out there, if you like this episode, please hit the thumbs up and subscribe. Tell your friends, write me a review. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my socials are fix.her.up or mkileyg. My email is fixherup01 at gmail.com. My voicemail is 773-236-1112. And my website is www.fixherup.net. Thanks again for listening to episode 40. And thank you, Amanda, for being on my show. Yeah, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you. We'll see you later. See you in a couple of weeks.